Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And sitting next to me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, Crispy. And hey there to all of you at home. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. What if they're not at home? Hey there to all of you not at home. <laughs> I don't want to leave anyone out. All of you You're so in egalitarian. Transit, all of you at work who should be working, but instead are listening to us, thank you. Very much. <laughs> Why don't we get started? Okay. So to start this off, I thought we would go to our tried and trusted method of reading a little, a listener mail. <laughs> and this, a listener mail, comes from Maury. Maury says, hey guys, lately I've become obsessed with the Machinima web series Red vs. Blue and was wondering where Machinima started and how it's made. I'm sure many others have suggested this to you, but I think it would make a great topic for you guys to talk about. Your dedicated listener, Maury. Well, Maury, actually, you're the first person to bring this one up. Yep. Ever. No, I mean, for us. Uh, but I actually wrote uh, How Machinima Works, and I, too, am a fan of Red versus Blue. And I'm just going to let you talk, because up until today, when we were doing research for the podcast, I had never even seen an episode of Red versus Blue. But you had at least seen some machinima, right? Mm. Like maybe a Code Monkey video or something? Well, yeah, okay. That's okay. machinima. That's true, that's true, and I wasn't thinking of that. All right, well, let's let's define what machinima is before we get started. Uh, okay. So machinima is essentially using an existing computer-generated world and sometimes characters to mm-hmm. create stories. Yep. It's machine animation, machinima. Yep, but it's not like regular, you know, computer animation. No, because all the work for building that world and building the graphics has been done for you. You are actually using a pre-existing product to create your stories. Yep, it's almost like, uh, you know, using one of those kits that you might find in, uh, you know, a, p- a piece of movie making software. You know, you've already got the pieces. You've already got the camera angles and the and the characters and and those things. But uh, rather than using the toolbox that comes with that kind of a software, you're actually using games. Right. And uh, it actually can take a couple different forms, right? I mean, uh, it could be basically your recording of the actions, uh, you know, in the games that permit it. Um, you know, recording of the the actions of the characters and then basically making up a story to go with that, mm-hmm. or actually taking. Uh, those pieces and making your own from scratch, which it seems would be a bit harder. It, it might be a bit harder, but in my experience, those tend to be the most enjoyable ones to watch because it's not like uh, you're trying to force words to fit the action. You've already mm-hmm. created the action and now you're or you already created the words and now you're you're creating the action around it. Right. Um, it's a lot like a puppet show. I mean, it really is most similar to puppetry mm-hmm. because you have players who are manipulating or actors, if you prefer right. manipulating characters on the screen using controls and the characters are responding appropriately. And then uh, by doing that, you can create scenes and by stringing scenes together, you can actually tell a story. Mm-hmm. Now the recording of video games, that's not new. No. A lot of people have been doing that for quite some time. There were people who would videotape, say, a speed run 
through a video game. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say someone is really, really good at Super Mario Brothers and wants to videotape a, uh, a an attempt to complete the game as fast as humanly possible, and uh, and would you know videotape that, upload it to YouTube or some other service, and that would be that. So that's one step. Yeah, I mean, there are tons and tons of walkthroughs for all kinds of games. Sure, not, yeah. not you know, not just the kinds that you would make machinima out of. I mean, there are, you know, this is how you play level six. Right. You know, all kinds of stuff like There's that. There's actually, yeah, even more now that you have things like achievements in Xbox 360. Yeah. And you've got, you've got entire websites. And in fact, Rooster Teeth, the company that uh, produces Red versus Blue, mm-hmm. they have a, a separate uh, product they call Achievement Hunter, where they show <laughs> how to achieve certain achievements in Xbox 360 games. Uh-huh. So you can go and watch a video and they explain it that way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you have the, these, which are instructional. They're not telling a story and they're not using the game in any way that it wasn't meant to be used before. Mm-hmm. And in fact, several games even include the ability to record footage within the game itself. Right. Like Quake. That would be the the example that actually that's kind of what started Machinima off in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, let you have the game Quake that allowed you to to record short snippets of gameplay, usually so you could brag to people about, hey, look how many people I sniped in this game or whatever. Right, right. right? Mm-hmm. But then you had a group of people who got very clever and they said, hey, how about we use Quake? This you know we can record stuff. Let's record um, a a little story, and they did. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of what became Machinima. People said, hey, you know, that's an idea. We can actually create what looks to be a computer-generated animated film, but we don't have to develop any of the, the environments or characters. Mm-hmm. We don't have to create any of the animations. All we have to do is write the story and act it out, and then we're done. The The game will do everything else for us. And, uh, I mean, it sounds easy when you put it like that. There are a lot of different barriers you have to get through while you're creating it. I can think of a, a major one. What's that? Uh, basically, you can't uh, shoot anything as part of your movie that doesn't actually already exist in the game. Yeah, that's um, – without without any post-production, that is true. If you are going to shoot your story using a game, you are relying upon the uh, the environments and the objects and the characters that the the game developers have provided to you. Uh, now, there are some games that have very big communities where the communities uh, actually are allowed to submit new items for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sims does that. Several other games do that as well, where you yeah. can actually develop and build an object and then import it into the game and even offer it to other people. Yeah. So I there mean, are ways around it. Sorry, I didn't mean no, to. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to point out that um, actually a, a lot of the uh, EA stuff, uh, like especially along the Maxis line, like the Sims, um, you know, Spore, basically Spore is one giant uh, community. As part of the game, you have to basically have an internet connection and um, you can find other people's creations as you play, as you run into other species. Basically, the chances are really great that you're going to run into something that somebody else created as part of the, you know, the startup of the game when you're creating new creatures. And uh, I remember back in SimCity, Days when I used to play the game that, uh, you know, later versions of the game would let users create new buildings and you could import those into the game, which was kind of cool. Right. Um, so, I mean, it just sort of seems like Machinima is just sort of a, a logical next step where you would, you know, build on the community. Yeah. And a, a lot of games do support that. Not all of them, of course. Just like several games have 
the ability to to set a camera anywhere in the game. Mm-hmm. Here, here's some other cool things about Machinima that you know you can't do in the real world. Okay, uh, with a lot of games, you can break the laws of physics. Right. Really. I mean, yeah. You um, can, yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. You can. You can. You yeah. can have. You can set a camera on the ceiling, and you don't have to worry about securing it there. It just it'll stay there because you right. told it that's where it belongs. Oh, what a feeling with a camera on the ceiling. Oh, oh, that hurts. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a video flashback. Um, or you can put it in a corner. Nobody puts baby in the corner, but you could put a camera, camera there. In the corner. Yes. Um, so you can, you, but the, the neat thing is you can put the camera anywhere. You can put it in the middle of the sky and it's going to be fine because it, you know, if you tell it that's where it needs to be, that's where it's going to be. Now, not, mm-hmm. not every game supports this. I should add some games do, some games don't, but if, for a game that does, it gives you, unlimited options of where you set your camera. You can do as many different angles as you like, and you can get some really cool effects. Now, other games, you have to obey whatever the game's rules are. You Mm -hmm. can't necessarily create a camera, and you may actually have to have one player act as the camera, capture that player's view, and use that as the main view. Uh Now, that's how Red vs. Blue works. Right. One of the characters that's in the game that you never see is the camera. The Mm -hmm. camera's looking around, and the point of view of that character becomes your view into the world. Mm -hmm. Now, it also means that when they want to do things like crane shots or aerial shots, they have to come up with really clever ways of doing it. For example, for a crane shot, they would have the cameraman jump on the end of the tank's turret, and they would have someone sit in the tank and then slowly raise the turret to the right level, and there's your crane shot. <laughs> For the aerial shot, they would have someone jump on a banshee. They'd fly the banshee up into the air, and the cameraman would very carefully perch there and capture the footage. And, of course, this could cause some problems down the line. If you if you just accidentally twitch the controller just a little bit, you fall off, and then your shot's ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing is... If your cameraman dies, he respawns in 30 seconds. So unlike real life where, you know, it takes longer than that. I mean, you can't respawn at all. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, there's no report of, you know, six people died during the shooting of this. But, hey, they're all back alive now. No, it's more like uh, the report from Machinima is this one guy died six times while doing that. Right. As, as opposed to six people dying. You know, I got a question for you actually, sure. along those lines. Um, so are they playing as, as in the case of Red vs. Blue, where they're actually playing the game, are, are they playing online with, you know, where anybody could run into them? No. Okay. Because that would mean that it would be very difficult to control the action that you're seeing in the, the film. My point. Um, and, um, but how, but are, they're playing together with multiple people. What, what they're doing is they've set up a LAN. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've, they've oh, hooked up multiple, yeah, they've hooked up multiple Xbox, um, machines. Mm-hmm. And so that puts a limit on how many people you can have in a scene right there. Um, if they do any network stuff, it would have to be a completely closed party system because otherwise you would have all these people just yeah. randomly pop up and you would have all these different little messages popping up on the screen. That would be, that would ruin your shot. Yeah. So it, I yeah. wonder if it'd be like real life where, you know, somebody stumbles into the shot. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's you guys. I'm so sorry. I think it'd be more like he'd stumble into the shot and then be like, okay, I'm going to snipe yeah. Sarge and then I'm going to snipe Caboose and then I'm going to snipe Church because. Boy, he deserves it. And, uh, <laughs> these are all characters from Red versus Blue. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think, um, my experience with people online pretty much means that instead of being silly, they're gonna, first they're gonna kill you 
right. then they're going to be silly. Right. So you get you get shot first, and then they do whatever their little victory dance happens to be, which usually is involves them crouching right over your face. Sadly, in some places, I think they do that in real life too. Crouching over your face. Yeah, well, no. I don't even want to know what you're doing this weekend, oh, Chris. Let's just move on. So. Again, machinima is another way of telling stories. And the important thing here to remember is that I think for, for the most successful machinima folks out there, the thing that comes first is the story. And, uh, that means that, you know, if, if you have a story and it's worth telling, it doesn't really matter how you tell that. It just matters that it gets told. And machinima is just one tool that's available to you. Now, the cool thing about machinima is it's a tool that allows you to go to places to have sets and to have special effects that you could never do in practical terms. Mm-hmm. You know, it's things that, you know, the average movie maker, uh, amateur movie maker, I should say, has no hope of achieving on his or her own without such a tool. Mm-hmm. But with machinima, you can go into outer space. You can, you know, have all these cartoonish characters. You can have these huge brutes that you would never actually see in real life, all interacting in different ways. So it really opens up a huge number of options for you as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the things that, uh, as I was reading your article, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I found really compelling was the legal issues behind all yes. of this, because, uh, you know, you are using someone else's art and, uh, you know, it seems like in one way it might be good for the gaming companies because it's drawing a lot of attention to the game. You mm-hmm. might say, Hey, those characters look interesting. I wonder what game they're from. And you know, that looks like a lot of fun. I might check that out versus the need to protect copyright. Right. And intellectual uh, property, intellectual cease and desist stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's one thing to keep in mind. If you ever decide to take on a machinima project for yourself, mm-hmm. uh, it's good to find out if the company has any sort of the company that makes the game, if they have any sort of policy on that kind of thing. Some companies are totally cool about it. And mm-hmm. like Bungie that makes Halo or mm-hmm. used to anyway, before the whole Microsoft thing, um, Bungie was incredibly supportive of the roost- rooster teeth people when they were mm-hmm. making red versus blue. Yeah. And they could have gone the other way. They could have said, Hey, you know, that's our intellectual property that you're messing with there. And yeah, your, your jokes are all funny and everything, but, um, please stop because that's our work. Yeah. But they didn't. They said, this is great. Uh, have fun. And they even got behind it. They even contracted the rooster teeth people to make official, Halo videos mm-hmm. as promotional tools for things like when Halo 2 and Halo 3 came out. Mm-hmm. So uh, it pays to do your research before you go and start making your project because you, the one thing you don't want to have happen is to create something that people love and is genuinely getting some success and then get penalized for it. Right, right. And that's that's just terrible when you poured your heart and soul into a project and then you're told by a company, hey, you can't do that. And if you keep doing that, I'm going to sue you for X amount of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I can't count how many times. Never mind. Um, yeah. So uh, at least three <clears throat> since Wednesday. Yeah. So what would you recommend for someone who wants to start doing this? They say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give this a try, you know, at least to, to see how complicated it is. I mean, what do you need? Do you need basically just a game console and, and, a, and a computer so that you can dump the stuff into the computer and do some editing? Or, I mean, does this need a really complex, expensive rig? It kind of depends on what games you're using, uh-huh. uh, and it depends on what your ultimate um, 
goal is and also depends on how high your standards are, frankly, for, mm-hmm. for, for production. Uh, if you're using a game that has an in-game capture system where you can create, you know, cameras, third-person cameras and capture the, the images there, you may not need anything other than the computer, a few copies of the game so that everyone who's participating can, you know, essentially act uh-huh. on the scene. Mm-hmm. And probably, uh, I would say some video editing software so that you can add audio tracks in later. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience, trying to capture audio while doing these things doesn't work very well. No, I wouldn't imagine so. Well, for one, and for one thing, it's just hard to concentrate on, oh, this is my line and then I have to move over here and I have to wave the gun and, if you're doing all of that all at the same time, it, it gets pretty complicated. If, however, you do what a lot of what practically every animator does, which is you record the vocal tracks first mm-hmm. and then you have those to work off of while you're creating the scene, it makes it a lot easier. So you need some software to capture the vocal tracks. You'll mm-hmm. need some microphones, obviously. Right. Um, so microphones and the software to capture the vocal tracks. You'll need the copy of the game. If it does not have in-game video capture software included, you will need to find a tool to allow you to do that. Right. Something to record the, the video. Right. Output from the. Right. From the and machine. it all, if it's a console system, you're going to probably need something so that you can hook the console up to your computer to right. capture that footage. Mm-hmm. Um, because most console games don't have the, the record feature built in, at least not until fairly recently. Right. Um, since the Achievement Hunter stuff has really taken off, there have been some a lot of games to include some sort of recording software so that you could record particularly spectacular wipeouts or whatever <laughs> and then upload them so that people can enjoy watching your character catch fire as he's flipping through the air screaming, um, which I find endlessly entertaining, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, there's a huge variety. I mean, it goes from as simple as you can get with if you wanted to record everything in game and, and you're happy with that quality. Mm-hmm. There's that level. And then there's the whole, all right, I need uh, video and audio editing software. I need microphones. I need maybe even creating a little sound studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Red versus Blue guys, they started off by setting aside a, uh, a closet, uh, coating it in foam, mm-hmm. and shutting the voice actors into the closet to record their lines. Been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have been there. I am looking at one of those right now. Mm, yes. Yeah. In our podcast studio, we have a little corner set aside for sound booth stuff. And the sound booth is, is really not much more than a, a glorified closet. Mm-hmm. But True. It's, it, it's comfortable and safe in there. Actually, that one's custom built. It is. I have, I've, I've actually stood in a, you know, a, an actual, an actual closet, closet with like the foam on egg carton foam. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how the red versus blue guys started. So, um, yeah, you can start with a pretty small investment, but if you want something that's going to really be snazzy and, and have, you know, nice titles and things like that, you're going to want some video software, some, uh, video editing software and some audio editing software. Mm-hmm. Um, for those people who think I have an anti-Mac bias, I actually recommend Macs for this kind of work. I think <laughs> that Macs, I think, I think Macs are great machines for editing media. Um, I edit all my media for all of my personal projects. I do all of that editing on a Mac. So you're admitting that your anti-Mac bias is just a faux anti-Mac bias? For now, but I'll bring it up again later. <laughs> Some other podcast, you know it. Yeah, yeah. It'll never die. Well, um, the audio equipment I've always worked with, um, I don't own a whole lot of it myself, um, 
but I do have access to studios and uh, just about everybody I know uses a Mac, but um, you can use PCs for it, certainly. Sure. Yeah, um, there, I mean, there are plenty the, of PC <clears throat> applications out there for it. Yeah. Yeah. Just can get a little expensive, you know, getting all the, getting the soundboard and the mics and all that stuff. So sure. Probably want to start small. And it seems like you wouldn't exactly be looking to put these in Hollywood anyway, probably. Yeah. I mean, the strange thing is, is that for the really popular ones, some of them have been shown at, at film festivals mm-hmm. or at, at other big events. Sure. So there have been some cases where stuff that was made on an Xbox with some guys who just thought of some funny jokes while they were playing some some video games have been shown to a, a full stu- a full theater audience yeah, um, yeah which is pretty impressive when you think about it oh, that's yeah. the other nice thing about machinima is it's another way for the average person to really break into a creative industry that traditionally was really closed off i yeah. mean you had to have phenomenal luck to get into the entertainment industry um Connections. Yeah, connections or luck or some combination thereof. But if you have enough talent, patience and, and some, you know, good old fashioned effort to put together a really good machinima project, uh, you can get a lot of attention and, and even make a living off of it. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And, uh, I mean, especially considering the amount of money that you might have to spend to get in. And the other neat thing is that machinima has introduced me to a lot of stuff that I never would have really found out about otherwise like what jonathan colton uh yeah well so when i was writing how machinima works um one of our fellow writers tracy wilson wrote to me and said hey have you seen this music video it's Mm -hmm. a machinima music video and it was a machinima music video to jonathan colton's song code monkey right and it used the world World of warcraft yeah right and so i watched the music video I was immediately enchanted by, to use a World of Warcraft kind of term, I was immediately enchanted by the, the, both the song and the video itself. The video was just really cute. It was really well done and sweet. And so is the song. And, um, without it, I never would have found out who Jonathan Colton was. And now I'm a huge Jonathan Colton fan. So, um, that's, you know, another one of those things where I'm like, well, I'm glad that I found out about Machinima. Mm -hmm. Of course, I had already watched Red versus Blue up at, up to that point. Uh, so I was somewhat familiar with Machinima already, but yeah. I had never seen the music video. Yeah, um, I learned about uh, Jonathan Colton through uh, John Hodgman. Ah, yes, because I, I he, listened he toured to, with him. Right, yes, and I listened to the uh, the hobo names, and he played uh, the song, and he played the song right. over and over again without yes. stopping. Um, For like, and that's how that was my introduction to minutes him. after minutes after minutes. Yes, a very very long clip. So, anyway, but th- but that was my first. That video was my first introduction to and, Machinima, and, and I didn't even know I was being introduced to it. And even even videos where you might think, oh, this is video capture footage. This isn't Machinima. Sometimes it turns out it actually is Machinima. Mm-hmm. For example, the uh, the um, Leroy Jenkins video mm-hmm. from World of Warcraft. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, it's a famous goofy video on YouTube. If you guys have never seen it, go to YouTube and type in Leroy Jenkins. And it shows this group of adventurers as they're about to go into a very dangerous area. And as the leader is explaining what their tactics are, one guy is like, let's do this. Leroy Jenkins. And he just runs into the room without... Helping, you know, without stopping to listen to the strategy, mm. which results in everybody dying and every someone yells out something along the lines of like, Leroy, you idiot. And you hear him say, well, at least I got chicken. 
And that's the end of it. It's just a goofy little thing. So, of course, the video makes the rounds as Leroy Jenkins totally screws up this raid that everyone had planned. And I'm probably using the wrong terminology. Please forgive me. I'm not a World of Warcraft player. But anyway, he he messed up the plan. It turned out later that this was all just – it was all staged. So it actually was machinima. You know, um, <clears throat> I uh, I had my notes on computer this time for – the. I mean, Jonathan knows that, but you all don't. And uh, now that I look it up, there are uh, about 4,690 videos with Leroy Jenkins. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, it's one of those uh, the, first, really the very popular. first couple look like they're the ones he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Everything else apparently has been applied to uh, Star Wars, Paper Mario, and all kinds of other things. I've got a friend who has a band, and they have a song about Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> And it is okay, hysterical. It is hysterical. Ten Penny Travelers. Okay. So you right. guys do a Google search on them. They're awesome. We're going off on a tangent, and that offends some of our listeners. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, <clears throat> let's get back on task. So okay. do we have anything else you want to talk about as far as machinima goes? I mean, we've talked about music videos. we talked about making stories. we talked about how you do it. Yes, I do. All right. Go for it. Um, what are the best games to use for this? I noticed you list some in your in your article, but, right. uh, you know, it seems like the uh, – the shooter games, third-person shooter seems to work well. Third-person or, or first-person. Well, first-person shooters usually because you're using the point of view of the shooter. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess I keep thinking of Halo as a third-person thing. Yeah, it's a first-person. Yeah, person. you're actually a first-person game. So, um, yeah. Sorry. Well, the, um, I think I think it all depends on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like the World of Warcraft music video stuff is awesome. It yeah. works really well for that. Yeah. Um, it's a little harder to tell a story. Not that that stopped people. I mean South Park did it. But uh, – I think uh, the difficulty there is creating a, a story where random people aren't walking into frame and screwing up what right. you're trying to do. Right. So I would say avoid online games uh-huh. unless you are able to do – Like a LAN type like situation? a localized instance, exactly. Yeah. If you can do a localized instance of an online game, that's fine. But otherwise, you're going to have random people just show up and like, can I group? And you're like, dude, we're totally like shooting a movie right now. Can you like not be here? Um, I get that all the time in real life, actually. Dude, uh, like, can we have you cross the street because we're like shooting something? Um, so it would just happen to me online as well. Right. So localized rather than online. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shooters work really well in the sense that it gives you a really good cameraman. It's uh-huh. easy to control the camera angle. It's easy to point at different stuff. You know, it's, yeah. and, and you have an active person there as a camera as opposed to just a stationary camera and every, all the actions moving around it. Right. So you can do things like running towards someone as a zoom or you can, uh, you know, turn to the left or right as a pan. Um, and you don't have to worry about stationary camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flip side of that, of course, is you may be limited by the physics of the world like the red versus blue guys were, but you can find ways around that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Really, I say, first of all, pick a story that you like. Mm-hmm. Then think about the environment that it would most, it would be the best in, and then find a way to use that environment in your storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you if you look at the story first, that's what's really going to make a good product. I, I think instead of saying, "Hey, I really like Halo," let's find a, let's make make a funny story for Halo. It works better if you say, "Hey, I've got this funny story." It would be even funnier if we set it in a, a universe with uh, futuristic soldiers. Why don't we use Halo? Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to go about it. Okay. See, I had this problem because I was uh, I was trying to make a machinima with a Mahjong Solitaire yeah, game, and it really just didn't go anywhere. No, it really wasn't working out. I tried to make one uh, using the game of Tron, and then I found out they already did that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Zing. <Nice. clears throat> so, yeah, that, I think that was it for my question. All right. Well, then that wraps up this discussion on machinima. But that does lead me to our second instance of a listener mail. Excellent. This listener mail comes from JT from Joplin, Missouri. And JT says, hello, I just found your podcast last week and really enjoy them. With my job, I do a lot of driving all over the U.S. Your podcasts are great to listen to while driving. This traveling also brings up a question. I was listening to your podcast about 2G, 3G, and 4G networks, and I received a text. When I went to reply, I had no signal on my BlackBerry Bold World phone from AT&T, but I still had good signal on the Sprint phone my company issued to me. I see this a lot both ways. Some areas the Sprint phone works, and some areas the AT&T phone works better, and of course some areas both are good. I expect the Sprint phone to do to go in and out, as it is not a world phone. My question is, can you really call it a world phone when it doesn't even work all over the U.S.? Thanks, and keep up the great work, JT. All right, now, JT, yes, you can call it a world phone, because the world phone does not mean it's going to work everywhere. What the world phone means is that it works on the frequencies used in the United States as well as in other parts of the world. Yep. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, well, I mean, for marketing reasons, uh, some places phone just doesn't sound as cool. Right. Yeah. The the issue we have here is that it's not that the antenna, you know, a world phone doesn't necessarily have a more powerful antenna. It doesn't necessarily receive signals better than any other phone working on any particular frequency. No, but frequency is the key here that because the there key. are frequencies of all of all genres. <laughs> genres. Right. There are all kinds Ranges. of frequencies. Yeah, all range. Yeah, that's a better one. There we go. Um, I'm thinking on the fly here. Um, yeah, so there are frequencies uh, in all different ranges all over the world, uh, depending on the governmental regulations of the country you happen to be using your phone in. Right. So in the United States, we have two different kinds of phone technologies. Basic phone technologies. They they get more complicated, but basically we have CDMA and GSM. Mm-hmm. GSM is the more popular one throughout the world. Yep. Okay, but even GS, GSM has four different frequencies upon which it operates throughout the world. There is, um, there's the 850 and the 1900 bands, which the United States uses, but Europe uses 900 and 1800 bands. So you have two different sets of bands and phones that run on one will not work on the other. Mm-hmm. But if you get a phone that is capable of running on all, any of those four, it's called a quad band phone, that would be a world phone. It would be, it means that you can go to Europe and it'll still work on Europe's system. It does not mean, however, that if you go around the corner to that dead zone that affects your other AT&T phone, that your phone will still work. Right. It, it could still very well be dead. Mm-hmm. So hope that answers your question, JT. Uh, thank you for writing in. Greatly appreciate it. That was a great question. And uh, it'll all work out fine until 4G comes along. Yeah. And then we'll, have to buy a new phone. we'll all have to buy new phones. That's okay. I'm sure that iPhone will come out with a new phone as soon as 4G hits, you know. Any minute now, probably. Pretty much. Yeah. September's right around the corner. So <laughs> that's when the big announcements come. Yep. If any of you have any questions, comments, suggestions, anything like that you want to shoot our way, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can read How Machinima Works at howstuffworks.com. It's a pretty darn good article, if I do say so myself. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've read it. I mean, I wrote it ages ago. So to read it now, I was thinking, hey, you know, I actually did a pretty good job with that. And I wasn't even in your editor at that time. And I, yeah. I, I think it's, you know, an excellent article. Right. Uh, I think... Julie edited this one. Wow. That was a long time ago. So anyway, uh, check that out, guys, and we will talk to you again really soon. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?